A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Hello, Properly Howard fans. Welcome to another edition of Properly Howard. This week we're covering Cape Fear with the inimitable Robert De Niro. Hey, if you've ever considered becoming a Patreon member of the Lorehounds, I can't recommend it highly enough. Go to thelorehounds.com, throw a little bit of money their way, and check in for second breakfast. Super fun, totally worth it. Christmas is coming up, a great gift for friends. Check out the fine work they're doing with Ahsoka and Wheel of Time. And in the near future, keep an eye out for podcasts related to Dune and Edgar Allan Poe's House of Usher. All right, here's my conversation with comic Steve Osborne. So, Steve, now that you are a tattooed man, do you feel like you have more in common with De Niro and Cape Fear? <laughs> Which was wild because I always identified with him already, you know, every time I watch a movie. Not not the actor, the actual character. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I always, yeah, had a I just... I always felt like Max Cady was was a misunderstood character. Yeah, sort of the the evangelical, couldn't read, learned to read, studied law, learned 17th century philosophers, white supremacist, (laughs) former Italian with a southern accent. Right, right. I mean, if any, if it sort of falls right in line with the with with the folks that tend to encourage people to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, and this is what you get. 
<laughs> this is what this is what pulling yourself up by your bootstraps looks like. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we've talked a lot about Scorsese uh, recently. Yeah. So I feel like talking about De Niro may be a good idea here. For men of a certain generation, he's the actor. He's like, no one can beat De Niro. Yeah, he's like the, the our, our Meryl Streep, right? Yeah, you're right, right. He's He really is kind of the equivalent to Meryl Streep. Although, that has fallen off. I think in the last maybe 20 years, you know, sort of slowly pittered out. Oh, um, the De Niro, the De Niro appreciation. Whereas, whereas Streep is still hanging on. Streep is as high as ever. Although I think she was just in uh, only murders in the building. Yeah. So that can't help. Well, you think that's bad for her? I, I, that's a very uh, well regarded show. Her love interest was Martin Short, Steve. That's acting. <laughs> that's as good that's how good she is uh it's like playing opposite a horse and secretariat uh, <laughs> <laughs> or hot to trot starring bobcat goldthwaite and dabney coleman and john candy as the voice of bob <laughs> yeah so i don't know what i don't know how you feel about de niro i mean i think in recent memory his work in comedy has been as prolific as anything else sure um, it's interesting about De Niro, right? I mean, like he uh, he makes an appearance in um, in Joker, right? Like, like there's still well, it there's like kind of an homage to King himself, of Comedy, right? right? Yeah. Well, himself and ta- a Taxi Driver. Sure, so right? Yeah, I guess that you kind of kind of a two combo, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, um, so De Niro. I mean, I think De Niro still has uh, the gravitas, right? I mean, I think he's it, it, the question is has he become a caricature or is he like still just staying relevant in in a way that like maybe, maybe he wants to, right. I mean, that's, I never get the sense with De Niro that even when he's doing something that we might consider like beneath him because mm-hmm. of where we put him, it's like, well, I mean, to still maintain any level of relevance, like in your seventies, it's gotta be, it's gotta be pretty remarkable. Right. I mean, yeah, did you see The Irishman? Um, I watched enough of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's pretty great, and you should probably watch it if ever, great. like... If ever I have you, a week. <laughs> you got a plane ride to Australia or something? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, he's pretty great in it, and he's doing the De Niro thing. I don't understand why it's as long as it is. Um, it, for for anyone think well, De Niro kind of lost it somewhere along the way. I felt like this is this is not. I wouldn't say it's as good as everything he's done, but he, he still has the chops. So yeah, I think he does, and I think he does have the comedic chops. And sure, he may be in some some lame stuff, but I mean, I think I'm, I'm, I'd have to look back at his career. I think I think if we well, really you don't have to it, look back. I can tell you the exact moment. Oh, okay. It was like he was Meryl Streep, and then he did Rocky and Bullwinkle. That was it? It wasn't Frankenstein? Oh, no. It was Rocky and Bullwinkle. Right then and there, it was sort of like, well, I guess this, that ended. That was pretty quick. 
It was like Russell Westbrook. It was like yeah, wow, MVP, you were... and now now you're you're just poison. You were you were historically good five minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I mean, to his credit, like he's he's kind of rede- I mean, like meet, was this after or before Meet the Parents? Oh, this was before. Yeah, so Meet the Parents is a good like. I mean, that's great, De Niro. That's great, De Niro. But it was like all of a sudden. We are not going to mention you in the same breath as Streep anymore. Sure. But I think he was bailed out by Pacino doing Pacino for so long, too. It's like like, you're not going to see Daniel Day-Lewis do Meet the Parents. But for De Niro, it was sort of like, oh, he could do this, too. That's that's, that's a nice feather in his cap because we weren't sure about him anymore. Yeah, because I think Pacino had become such a caricature that it was mm. the concern at this point was like, well, maybe De Niro's just following the same. Because uh, the Meet the Parents thing did feel a little bit like he was kind of having fun with maybe some of his previous characters. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think that there's a self awareness to that, right? Like, because he still he still sold it, right? Like, I mean, he had he had really funny moments. Meet the Parents is really good, and I think holds up. And I think a lot of the reason why it is funny is that we saw him in movies like Cape Fear. Right. So it's almost like De Niro's filmography makes Meet the Parents even more funny. In the same way that sort of like the freshman can't work, the movie The Freshman with Matthew Broderick, it just doesn't work unless Marlon Brando is Marlon Brando. Sure. Uh, that that is, the, that is the gag that he's playing. Right. No, well. that makes sense. So, all right. So, De Niro in I just recently watched um Bronx Tale for the first time. Mm-hmm. De Niro's just freaking amazing in this movie. He's just so good. And he's playing off type. You know, he he is playing an Italian in the 60s or whatever, but he's playing He's not playing... He's not the heavy. Yeah, he's not the heavy. He's not playing the guy in Goodfellas. He's not playing Taxi Driver. He's not doing Cape Fear. He's He is something different. And he's really, really good. And watching this movie right after, <laughs> right after Bronx Tale, it took me back. I, I really remembered this guy was the gold standard for male actors uh, for a good long 30 years. And this this movie reminded me of that, even though this is not my favorite movie. Okay. Yeah, I think, I, uh, I think he's fantastic in it. Um, and I think, watch it, because I've seen, this is probably the third time I've seen Cape Fear, maybe fourth? Hmm. Um, I don't like it anymore. Oh, all right. Yeah, you were I, you were texting me last night. You're like, "Is this a good movie?" Uh, I never liked it. Like, okay. I I only saw it once. I was really disturbed by the the cheek bite. Yeah. Uh, that to me, I, like at that moment in the film, I thought, "I, I this is not for me. I don't like this at all." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Odd. So, so the cheek bite moment was to this film, like watching De Niro and, and Rocky and Bullwinkle for the like. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. That was sort of the vivid image I got from the film, and it was very disturbing. And I never watched it again. 
until yesterday. I did a, a double feature with Cape Fears yesterday. Yeah, um, I did not get a chance to watch the original or any clips from it. I, I intended to, uh, which is really good for a podcast. It was intense. Well, at least one of us did, and that allows me to kind of talk a little bit about the original. And you can pretend like you're interested for uh, two minutes. Sounds great. <laughs> just like our, our listeners. I get to have a, a, an opportunity to be just like them. So I, I liked it. I liked the original Cape Fear based on a novel. And originally it was a Hitchcock. Hitchcock was attached enough to the film that he created the initial storyboards for the film. Hmm. Uh, then, and I don't know why, but he got taken off the film. I don't know whether it was him or the studio or whatever, but uh, it was picked up by someone else who you'd never heard of. Then it really took on a film noir quality. And I'm not usually a big fan of film noir. So while I enjoyed the film, it it was almost like a Twilight Zone for lawyers. That's That's how I felt about it. I don't know if you've ever seen the original Twilight Zone series. Oh, yeah. Um, but it will take a concept and, like, it'll extrapolate a, an interesting thought, a thought exercise, usually toward the weird. Well, this one takes a legal concept and it extrapolates it. It's, and the legal concept is, what if you have a criminal who knows the law better than anyone in the story? And he can go toe-to-toe with a lawyer and with a police officer, and he can you know, walk right up to the edge of doing something illegal, but then know exactly what will hold up in court and what will not. You just put the law in my hands, and I'm going to break your heart with it. I got a little plan for your wife and kids. They're never going to forget. Never. That guy's kind of like a super villain at that point because he can operate as freely as he wants to as long as he doesn't actually break the law in a, such a way that you can prove it in court. This is Robert Mitchum who's playing the the heavy in this film and he just comes across as someone who's physically imposing and really 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 smart, which is hard to do. So for that reason alone, that film was interesting to me. Everything else about that film was kind of boring. You know, Gregory mm. Peck is sort of like, you know, lawyer with a heart of gold, and his wife is completely uninteresting, and his daughter is unwatchable, and uh, <laughs> it, it's just it, everything else about the film is not interesting at all, except for Robert Mich- Mitchum, who winds up in this movie too. And so does Gregory Peck. And so does Gregory Peck and uh, Martin Balsam. I don't know if you're. If he does anything for you, but he was the judge. Yeah. Uh, okay. So anyway, I did think that this, this, I thought Scorsese's movie was certainly an improvement on the film in at least a few ways that we can talk about. But that is my sense of the film. It really feels like 62 in that it kind of feels like a 50s movie. Got it. Yeah, there are 60s movies like Cool Hand Luke that kind of feel like 70s movies. Right, right. Uh, this really feels like a fifties, like film noir kind of film. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, do you have you seen Martin Balsam in anything else? Um, let's see, Martin. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, he was in Psycho, right? Yes, and I recently watched the 
the first two episodes of the million dollar six million dollar man. Ah. In that two part episode of Six Million Dollar Man, there is a close up of Martin Balsam's face that lasts at least twenty minutes of that forty minute show. <laughs> Whoever the director was was just fascinated with the Martin Balsam. That's amazing. Uh, fun fact, he was actually the original voice of Hal uh, from mm. 2001, but Kubrick decided to go another direction by the time it hit the uh, theater. Wise choice, but that would have been interesting. <laughs> interesting. So a couple things about the original that made it into this film. Uh, a, lot, a lot of things that are different. Uh, but uh, few... they did, they did, did Robert Mitchum also watch Problem Child? <laughs> <laughs> oh, was that the John Ritter movie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, he did not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and clearly that movie was just really tickled De Niro. De Niro just thought that that they was... They didn't want to show just what a psychopath he is. <laughs> I like that... All right, so Scorsese is a filmmaker, right? And he's, and he's thinking, like, I need a guy who's going to basically be the who the devil is to Job. What would, like really torment me well if i'm watching problem child with john ritter and there was a guy in the front row smoking a cigar and laughing in a way that ruined my movie going experience that's right that guy's satan that that is how that is how he gets introduced to the nolte family the first thing the first thing he does to drive this these people nuts is get it to the point where they have to leave problem child early Problem Child um, 2 comes out later, and they're just like, I don't know what's going on. The monster. <laughs> because, you know, John Ritter is not going to be with us much longer. You know? Could you imagine that the, the, the Problem Child series is ruined for you? They're like, you know, like, hey, 2 came out. We could rent it. And they're like, I just, I'm not ready. Just whenever I see John Ritter, I smell cigar smoke. <laughs> I hear that horrible laugh in my mind. Uh, did you ever see Problem Child? No, but I really want to now. I, looks I kind like of feel hilarious. like it, it kind <laughs> of deserves the Howard treatment. For maybe sure. that's a maybe that's a, a theme we can do is movies within movies. <laughs> uh, movies that were shown in other movies is a great. Because it gives us a chance to talk about two two movies really, and like, well, why was that in that? You know. Um. Okay. A couple scenes that were in the original movie. Uh, you've got the scene with the car keys. That's. That's cribbed directly from the original. It really is sort of like, how do I trap someone in their own car? If I could reach in their window, stand right outside their car door so they can't open it, take the keys, what are you going to do? It's a big power move because it's like, it makes the safety of your own possession uh, questionable, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it it gives power over, it gives him power over his own shelter and his game. Yeah, and if you make the move to get out on the passenger side, you've already lost. Yeah, yeah. The power is fully in the hands of the guy with the car keys. You're you're trapped in your own security, meaning that there you you're you're not safe anywhere. Yeah, so it's a great scene in both movies. It works in both movies, uh, even though they're thirty years apart, and it it really it really does give you a sense of helplessness especially if at this point Nolte is still kind of has the veneer 
of a man of polite society. Right, right. Like, I, I'm not going to, as, especially in the place that I work, you know, I'm coming out of my office where, I, you know, I, I go in with a suit and tie. I'm not going to get in a shouting match with Robert De Niro in the parking lot. Really effectively introduces these, you know, kind of butts these two characters against each other. And it establishes De Niro as the kind of guy who knows that you've put social limitations on yourself, mm-hmm. and he's going to take those to his, his advantage, uh, which they which is is the the original movie in Spades. It, it, that okay. is exactly what the original movie does. Um, there's the similar chokehold uh, that that De Niro does uh, that was in the original. The rock in the hand on Cape Fear. And then, uh, you know, Houseboat and both. And then, of course, it's Scorsese. So technically speaking, it's going to be really good, even though it's sort of not my bag. Um, but you well, you didn't like this. So maybe we should let you talk about that. Yeah, I I don't, since I don't have the original to compare it to, this the sense I was getting is that certain camera angles and certainly musical choices uh, were Scorsese doing some really on the nose homage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. To it the was point, the same, it was the same exact score. You're right to the point where it's like I'm not sure what you're trying to do because you're clearly updating this. Mm-hmm. And giving it a much more gruesome and vulgar and uh, just like just more graphic depiction of all the things that are probably not as such in the original. Um, so so you, the the need there was a need to to do that or or a desire to I'm going to update this for a modern audience with with a a a real emphasis on on the graphic nature of all this. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to still try to make it like an old movie. Well, and not only that, this is mu- this is music for a film noir. Sure. But you but what you've done is you've updated it in such a way that it, it does not present as film noir. So the the score certainly doesn't match the film. Um although I I'm, I'm wondering like <laughs> I mean Scorsese is famous for like just dropping the Rolling Stones into weird places in movies. Right, right. I'm just thinking like, give me shelter in this film. Like, where would that fit? Well, I was already confused when he's got the video for Ben Caught Stealing playing on the daughter's TV, but she's playing Guns N' Roses in the background. I'm like, what are you doing? What's happening here? He makes Scorsese really makes weird musical choices. Yeah, I wonder what this movie would be like if you just changed the score. Well, the score is one thing because the score the score was obnoxious. I mean, it was obnoxious, uh, and and I started getting irritated. And I understand that's supposed to kind of give you a certain sense of like unease, but not you shouldn't be uneasy about the movie. Mm-hmm. Like you shouldn't be like I'm mad at you, movie. <laughs> Um, which I was getting at. Yeah. And so and and so I guess that was my thing is just the, the incongruity of it. I'm like, every time he would do like a camera angle or or a or a weird close-up or something that would, you know, or we're gonna get X-ray into Jessica Lang's nostrils for whatever reason. <laughs> uh when every time you'd make that choice, it would 
it did like like when and then directors do this right i mean it's not there's nothing this isn't necessarily new under the sun i watch winning time uh which is the whole story of the of the lakers and so they they oftentimes go to like grainy almost like uh old uh television quality or vhs quality to try to try to invoke mm-hmm. that and it happens periodically but it does it in a way that feels like i know it's stylistic but i never felt taken out of it because it just it was just done with like a deft touch and it was i kind of appreciated it a little mm-hmm. bit um and when tarantino does it sometimes it's it's so tongue in cheek and you kind of know it's a tarantino thing so maybe i'm just more conditioned to it um but i feel like it in many cases it enhances the experience because there is a playful quality to some of these uh things even if they're heavier mm-hmm. but scorsese doesn't have that like that's not scorsese is like more often than not painfully serious um and so when he's making these these noir choices or these throwback decisions it's like I just got out like I would every time it would happen because I'm like you're making a movie that's intentionally modern and there are moments the scene where he's sitting on the gate or fence area and the fireworks but that's gorgeous it's a gorgeous uh, sequence but it's just undercut by score and I feel like it's undercut by like a following scene that just feels super uh um you know, like throwbacky, and 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 then it's, and then you'll have a scene that's, and then it's just like so graphic at the same time. I'm like, well, what is this? Is this a tribute? Is this an improvement? Is this a, a retelling? I mean, obviously, there's. It sounds like there's uh, much more complexity with the uh, with the Bowden character in the in terms of the the first two film or the first film in this one because, like you said, Lawyer with the Heart of Gold. This lawyer is much more flawed. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I wanted to talk about the Lawyer with the Heart of Gold thing. So the original film, Gregory Peck does play a lawyer, and the reason why the Max Kelly character is coming after him, not because he used to be his lawyer, but because one day in Baltimore, this particular lawyer was on the street, and he saw this criminal assaulting a woman. So he was a witness at the trial, and that's what really made him a target. He was was in jail for something like eight years, and he decided he's going to go after the witness who happens to be a lawyer. Oh, okay. So it's sort of like I studied I studied the law as a self-made man in jail, and you studied the law formally, but we're up against each other because sort of happenstance has brought us together. In this film, Nolte is always sort of on the edge of being dirty. He, you know, almost he, having an affair. But. All, yeah, he he's had a couple tennis dates, but just so much so that he can tell his wife that nothing happened. Right, and right. like you get the sense, like as a father, like there's that one scene where it's like, is he is he gonna assault this child? Right. You know, so he's always on the edge of being a villain. And same thing as a lawyer. It's like, I, yes, of course, I buried this particular file, but I did so for the greater good. So it's sort of like. I did something a little bit murky ethically, and it's absolutely illegal what I did, but I did so for a better reason. And then you basically you get Satan comes into the story, and Satan says, yeah, I see you flirting with the dark side. I'm going to drag you toward the dark side with me. And to me, that's a much more interesting story than the original. Yeah, I, I definitely think that the story is, is a compelling one, and I think, I mean, the 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 religious uh, themes throughout are very intriguing. Um, And they're not subtle. No, no. And especially I, but what I liked was there was, you know, clearly a critique on 
uh, the American judicial system having some sort of a mm -hmm. uh, a reliance on sort of Judeo-Christian ethics, um, so much so that um, that I feel like it's a critique of of both religion and uh, and and the law in the sense that we're like we can sit there on both sides and be like, well, wait a minute, this yeah. what what Nolte's character did is the right thing, but at the same time, he took an oath to do it this way. And in, it's, in a sense, that that's kind of the same way that maybe, uh, especially if Scorsese is looking through a, a Catholic perspective, which we talked about through The Departed, mm -hmm. the sense of doing the right thing and um, and and maintaining your oath may, may be incongruous with the greater good in some sense, right? Well, on top uh, of at that... Least, at least the way we see it. You know, like we, we just shit all over this movie, but in praise of this movie, you could read it as a critique of patriarchy, you know, mm -hmm. by way of rape, oh, for sure. by way of rape culture. You could see it as a critique of the South. You could see it as a critique of uh, Christianity. You could see it as a critique of the judicial system. Mm -hmm. So I could imagine someone really enjoying this movie because of those critiques who aren't taken out by those other things we were talking about. Well, and I think I should be one of those people. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. I think that's maybe so maybe with... one of the might be one of the reasons why I was a little more frustrated with it is because there were a lot of things in there. I'm like, ah, I, I should I should be liking this more. I should be more interested in this than I am. So would more um, and, John Ritter have helped? Well, I think less would have because what <laughs> happens is I'm like, Well, now you got me you got me sad. They didn't know it at the time. Because now you want to go rewatch all of John Ritter's filmography. I want, yeah, well, I need to, I need to dive into the John Ritter filmography. Um, so, yeah, so I mean, I, I, I've, and it's funny because I didn't really get a chance. I think until after the movie to put a lot of those things together because I think I was just kind of just not really enjoying it. I felt like it was a bit of a trudge as I was going mm -hmm. through it. So then later I was like, oh, there's some good stuff there. And, but then there, then it's like, well, yeah, but then do I really need <laughs> Robert De Niro speaking in tongues to death? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> well, it's, it's a choice. It's a choice. <laughs> Did you see the rat crawl over his forehead as he was exactly. going down? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I, all right, so I feel like the last time we talked about Scorsese was The Departed, and we one of the things we were saying was that does he ever write women, you know, compelling women? Mm. Does he ever write parts that are compelling for you know female actors? And watching these movies back to back, I feel like I really need to kind of I don't know mea culpa here because in the original film, the wife was just really boring. The daughter was just, oh gosh, she was just a nightmare to watch. Just <laughs> these, it just, it just reminds you. It was not long ago that women on screen were just one dimensional, or however you want to say it. But in this film, I kind of felt like every character was kind of flawed, and the flaws made the characters a little bit more interesting. I don't know. I felt like the women in this film made it a lot more interesting for me in comparison to the original film. So just I, I Jessica Lange, I usually am not a huge fan. I thought she was pretty great in this. Um, yeah. Juliette Lewis, amazing. Just 
She's great. Just freaking amazing. So I don't know. I guess I, I guess I don't. Only... I'm just gonna say, just for a moment, Scorsese gets a little bit of credit in a way that I didn't think he deserved credit. Well, I think maybe he deserves credit for for uh, making women more interesting than uh, directors in the '60s did. I mean, if that's if that's the if that's the praise we're gonna heap, uh, <laughs> sure. Um, Wait, no, I, no, come on. Yeah, no. I'm, not, I'm, gonna, I'm saying I'm, more than I'm, I'm challenge saying, you. I'm, I'm saying that Juliet Lewis was amazing. Are you saying that? She I think was Juliet not... Lewis was an amazing, uh, given amazing performance. But this is the. I don't think Scorsese necessarily gets the credit for that. Um, in terms of being able to say that he he does women better. Every woman in this thing is a victim. Every single one of them. Every single. One. I mean, look, Nolte's a victim here too, but. Uh, yeah, but they're also, but he's, he's still in charge. I mean, he's still the one like that's, I mean, he's a victim. Like I said, I think he's this... a victim by Katie, but they're all victims by him. Uh, I, I think that this is a film that consciously cr- is trying to critique patriarchy. Right. I agree. I also think that it misses the mark a little bit because I think it, it, in a way you could make the argument that says patriarchy is a problem because women can't do anything about it. And that that's that's different than saying uh, patriarchy holds women captive. Now, I think that there are moments of critique for sure where uh, the clerk basically says, look, I know what what uh, women go through on this, you know, because we already sort of saw that with the mm. uh, the file that said she was promiscuous, yeah, the, yeah. the original victim. And so, like, that's a compelling thing. So I like that. I felt like was like a good window into understanding why sometimes women don't speak up and just a note on that that is an homage to the original film but in the original film that same discussion it kind of happens in a mansplaining kind of way it's like Mm. it's you know it's like the the wife who has no idea about the law is trying to explain why they should follow the law and the husband who's a lawyer who's gonna decide to you know work outside the law says yeah, but I've seen this happen, and he has to basically mansplain gotcha. the entire, you know, situation of rape cultures to his wife. And gotcha. um, anyway, so I did like the choice to wink to that, but do it in a, a way that was a little bit less mansplaining. Sure, no, and I, and I so I think the effort was there. I guess I'm just I'm just saying I think that the like the daughter, um, Juliet Lewis is. I mean, like she's. I understand there's this whole like, you know, kind of budding sexuality and this and that. But I mean, I don't know if I totally buy the sense that she would still be somewhat interested in the guy that might have killed their dog. But I in that scene, De Niro, who's an adult and seemingly as conniving as the devil, convinces her that he he's been misunderstood he did not kill the dog he would never kill a dog that's a horrible thing that happened and i in that scene i do believe that de niro is compelling enough and charismatic enough of a personality that he could fool a 15 year old girl sure a 15 year old girl. yeah yeah so i mean it, and and i think she's fantastic i think that that's i think maybe maybe uh scorsese does a good job of portraying 15 year old girls better than maybe adult women <laughs> i did well, i will I, say I, and, look you're not gonna make me like that performance any less now i no, could no, no. i now, think, the, I I think could go with great. you that maybe scorsese doesn't get the credit for it 
But I will say that I that was a critique I made of him, you know, last time. And after watching this film, I think, ah, maybe I should take that back. My thing is at the end of this movie, Scorsese, I feel like I'm more like more Scorsese wants me to to be more invested in the women only in regards to how they relate to uh, Nick Nolte's character as opposed to existing beyond, you know what I mean? I guess maybe that's where I, I, I stand at. Like it's still as flawed as Nick Nolte is. We're still, everything's kind of through his lens. And, uh, and I don't know. I don't, I, I feel like, no, I, mean, I, I, think, I think it's better. Yeah. What, I think what it's I said better before, than his other work. What I said before, I think holds, I think that this is a story about someone who's flirting with sin. And then you bring the devil into the picture and the devil says, I'm going to take you all the way to the dark side with me. And if that's a story that's selling it, it it's a story about two men. And then, right, right. then the, you've got these auxiliary characters who are women, which, you know, you could say the same thing about 90% of all movies. Right. So sure. Um, I've just, I, I don't know that I, I mean, I'm, I, I'm not sure that I'm ready to do the mea culpa on the, um, the, the Scorsese thing based on this film necessarily. Um, because you could make also the argument that, yeah, we're going to do the the devil versus this man, and at the core of it, rape is used as a prop. And if that's the case, uh, then I think that that's sort of missing. Uh, the oh, mark. I would say rape is more than a prop in this movie. I feel like it's kind of integral to the plot, and I feel like there is a discussion of, is our legal system even set up to help women? Um, I think that that was, that was a, no, I think that that I think it's certainly in there. It was absolutely a theme in the first movie, and I think that this movie handled it even better than the first movie. And I don't know a lot of movies that try to handle, you know, try to take that on. No, I and I think that that was that was it was fairly done. It was responsible in that regard. But at the end of the day, like this is a movie about two dudes. That's true. Yeah, we agree on that. So, so I guess that's kind of what I'm, I'm getting at, right? And so it's just from a, if I was gonna do, if I was gonna do my best job, and not a very good job, but my best job of doing like maybe a feminist reading on this movie, I might say, oh, okay, cool. Once again, um, we're gonna talk about uh, women's issues, but we're gonna need a couple of dudes to fight about it. Well, and that's how I feel this this podcast is about. I think that's why. People no, I think it's for sure this. <laughs> people tune in to hear a couple of dudes, well, or at least talk about uh, ducks from space. Which I honestly look, it's not my life. I, I'm, all, I'm only an observer. Uh, so uh, I will say this. I will say this. Like so. So Heather hated this movie. Uh, she was with it for a bit, but she she didn't like it before. So she was reluctantly uh, even in yeah. the room. Um, but we both agreed that as as uncomfortable as the scene with uh, De Niro and Juliette Lewis in the uh, yeah. in the theater basement is, uh, it's the best directed moment in the entire film. Because there's no loud score, there's no funky angles. Uh-huh. Uh, Scorsese sort of just lets these two really, really good actors perform together. You're not going to hurt me, are you? I'm not going to hurt you at all. There's no hurting here, Danielle. Between us, there's no anger, nothing. Just a search for truth. I mean, did you judge me? Did you get angry at me when you caught me smoking the grass? Hmm? No. But your parents, they judged you. They got plenty angry at you, didn't they? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
They punished you for their sins. You got to give Scorsese some credit. Obviously, you know, you're directing these two. You're, you're, you're putting them in the, in the right situation to succeed. But I think it's kind of fascinating that the most, like, kind of unnerving to me, I mean, like, obviously the cheek sequence and all that because of the violence is so uh, upsetting. But this is is very unnerving and it does so much to really give you, I think, a, a real good glimpse of, of how villainous this person is and they were he and scorsese was able to do it without x-ray specs or loud uh noises and to me that that i think that scene took me out of the movie because it brought me into a movie i'd rather watch yeah that's a good point it's a good point is there a cliche a trope or a device that you enjoyed in this movie i love a good prison uh, uh pull up I love, I love, I love exercising in, in yourself. <laughs> he was exercising right up until the moment he left. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't pack his stuff. He didn't take down his pictures of Mussolini. <laughs> no. All he really focused on was getting his comically gigantic cigar. What was it? Now, I, I wrote down a few things that were on his wall here. Um, he has a book that says, uh, Eat Right, Stay Fit. Uh, he's got uh, pictures of Nietzsche and Stalin and superheroes. He, uh, he's he got a picture of General Lee. He's got a Bible. And he's got a bunch of legal textbooks. Uh, right. And then, of course, his tattoos, the scales of justice. Truth right. on one side and the sword on the other side. Uh, truth and justice are on, are balanced. And then we go right into the John Ritter movie. So I thought that was fantastic. <laughs> What'd you think about the De Niro uh, accent? The Southern accent? <laughs> it's funny because it's like, I'm like, well, I guess that's what De Niro would be like with the Southern accent. I thought it was really decent. And I thought, yeah. when I first heard it, I thought, oh, no, I'm going to hate this. Because the whole yeah, time yeah. I'm going to think, you're Robert De Niro. You don't have a Southern accent. I just recently rewatched. Um, the Big Chill, mm. and Kevin Klein has a Southern accent. It's just, it's so bad. It's <laughs> so bad. I, I love a bad accent in a movie, though. Uh, I mean, I, I love it. I'm maybe in a movie that's not supposed to be good. Like The Big Chill is right. like, revered. Cape Fear. I, oh, I think I, it's a movie I enjoy when I'm not watching. <laughs> I, and because it's like I think about it and I'm like oh and like it's one of those where you put all the pieces together or like you deconstruct it like this and I'm like why didn't I like this okay I'm look like, oh, that's here's right. what you could do because I've seen movie. it four times and I just tend to not Here, here's what you could do with this movie you could put pull out eight De Niro scenes from this movie and show me them back to back and I would think oh this is like one of the most amazing performances of all time mm -hmm. this guy is one of our great actors and you put all of those eight scenes in this movie, and I walk away thinking, mm, not not yeah. my favorite. Yeah. Is it is it Nolte? Is it is it the Nolte problem? Hey, this is when Nolte is considered the sexiest man alive, according to People magazine. So I mean, this is this is peak Nolte. <laughs> this is peak Nolte, for sure. This is peak Nolte. Uh, is there a tweak that you would do to this movie to improve it? Well, I think like for sure the. Sound choices, score choices. Uh, yeah, and I would be curious, like you said, like if, if just if there was none of that or less of it, 
like what would that do like would it take it from me from like maybe a c minus experience to a c plus or would it go higher i think it i think it would be it would be an improvement but i think i would still have issues um it's it's a lot and i think what happens is is that by the end of it i kind of i like i'm sticking i'm sticking into the houseboat just because it's like i've come this far um <laughs> And it's like he's he can't be killed. It's like now it's like almost feels like a horror movie. So it's like I'm like, what am I what am I watching? Right. He, he you could he, I mean, Jason goes through very similar things. Right. I mean, he gets caught on fire. It gets thrown in the water. Well, he, he, he says in this movie, he says, I dedicated myself to making myself something that was more than human. I, I think this movie means to portray him as. As the devil. As the devil. And I, you know, I, I got on the soapbox last time and I felt vindicated watching this movie. There's no theological overtones or undertones in the original movie. The thing that Scorsese introduced to this movie that was not in the original was the healthy. I'm Virgil Castle and I'm guiding you to the gates of hell. We are now in the ninth circle, the circle of traitors. Traitors to country, traitors to fellow man, traitors to God. You, sir, are charged with betraying the principles of our frame. Can you please quote to me the American Bar Association's Rules of Professional Conduct, Canon 7? You've got the Bible represented, you've got the speaking in tongues at the end, and on the boat... He says that we're going to go to the ninth, you know, the ninth circle of hell. Yeah. Again, I felt vindicated. This is what preoccupies Scorsese. He is preoccupied right. with hell, and these are the characters that are going to hell. Yeah, and and Cape Fear is his probably one of his most joyless rides, right to hell. <laughs> I mean, there's not a lot of. I mean, when you're. <laughs> When you're relying on a, a problem child scene for the comic relief, and it's not even a funny part of the movie, right? Like, he's just finding out how thrashed his house is. If you had to go to hell, you're on a highway to hell, mm. and you have Nick Nolte sitting in the passenger seat, that doesn't improve the experience, right? <laughs> well, is this sexiest man alive, Nick Nolte, or current is that Gary Busey? That, Nick that's Nolte? more of an indictment on the state of of America than it is... <laughs> Saying something true about Nick Nolte. <laughs> this is when we lost our taste generally. <laughs> this is the same year they came out with clear Pepsi. <laughs> we just were just grasping at straws. <laughs> that clear Pepsi won sexy as soda alive. Uh, Steve, is this uh, movie better, worse, or on par with a Ron Howard movie? Wow, this is interesting. This is the probably the most compelling question, right? Because on one hand, I go, I don't know that Ron Howard pulls this off with these themes in a way that um, is as as effectively upsetting, right? Mm-hmm. But I could have done without a couple of the upsetting. Oh, for sure. And so I kind of like. I, so here's what I would say. I would say probably technically it's a Howard plus two, but for me, it's a Howard minus two. This is kind of like when I'm watching gymnastics and 
like technically all the judges say that was a 10 out of 10. And I'm sitting there thinking, all right, well, I, I mean, to my untrained eye, sure, fine, 10 out of 10. But it doesn't make me like watching gymnastics anymore. So sure. I think that technically speaking, yes, this this is Scorsese. He's one of our great filmmakers. It's not like I would have chosen different camera angles. I don't know. I don't know enough to say it. Right. But I could recognize a few things that I just didn't enjoy. And so for me and my experience, probably Howard minus two. Okay. So I think I think we're we're probably equally yoked in this, right? Like technically, probably a. a I mean, he got these performances out of these people, right? A director has to get some credit, right? I think. Look, if I just take the eight De Niro scenes out of this, yeah, yeah, then I'm looking at like a Howard plus four, right? Right. Like the whole pack. There's something about the entire package that just was a misfire for me. Yeah, and I think it's just. I mean, and again, I don't mind a movie that's sort of a joyless uh, uh, descent into madness. You know that, but I, I think just overall there were just too many sequences that. Um, it just didn't make it a, a, a very watchable mm, flick. Mm. Hmm. Um, was, there, was there a half the battle one to grown moment in this movie? I mean, uh, move. Just move. I think, I think it, it's sort of like... It, I mean, I know he could follow you, but like at some point... I think that Scorsese's trying to say something like, like nobody's righteous. Like we're all dirty. Like you mm-hmm. know, wh- whether you think you're a good Christian or a good lawyer or a good southerner or a good male or whatever. You got your hands dirty and you are therefore susceptible to the devil. Like the the devil's going to get you because of this. Almost like just don't believe in a system, right? Like don't right. whether it's organized yeah. religion or whether whether it's it's the law don't don't be fool enough to think that either of these have your best interest and your protection in mind steve you and i are writing a screenplay together <laughs> is there anything about this movie that you'd like to include in our movie a little ritter i like a houseboat <laughs> you ever been on a houseboat there's something about a houseboat that i've built up in my mind in fact sometimes when i think of like what what I would do with unlimited money, it would absolutely include a houseboat. I've never been on a houseboat, and it's probably miserable. But for me, it feels like Venice. Like, I've never been to Venice. I'm sure that there's a lot of things about Venice not desirable, but it, I've romanticized the houseboat. So, no, I have not. I've been on one. It wasn't moving. Nothing's great about it. Did it just feel like a tiny house? Yeah, it felt like a... Like it, it's like, oh, cool, a tiny house that kind of makes me a little nauseous. All right. I like boats a lot more than you do. Yeah. That's so true. that could be you like water be, more I, than I, I do. I love, I love being near or around the ocean. Uh, I've recently, you know, spent about four hours on a sailboat with a friend. It, there were nauseous moments for sure. So you got, you got to be able to like that enough. Yeah, I like a houseboat in a movie. Uh, I, I like the idea of a houseboat. So, <laughs> why, why not? I like tattoos. That's kind of how I feel. 
That's how I feel about books. I like books. <laughs> I like good. the idea I, of books. Okay, good. So for me, it's houseboats. For you, it's books. Um, I like tattoos that tell me something about the theme of a movie. Okay. Tell me something about this person without having to explain it to me. A tattoo is a good. It's a good way into that. Right. It's, if if I found your dead body washed up on an ocean and then I saw your tattoo, I'd be like, yeah, I, I, I would have been friends with this guy. OK, I like that. Yeah, kind of like a way a bumper sticker lets me know if I want to. The, the bumper sticker still doesn't do it because I always think, did you buy this car used and just didn't take off the bumper sticker? That tells me a lot, too. <laughs> tells me something else. <laughs> Mm-hmm. A tattoo. I mean, I guess you could say a ta- this guy got drunk and got a tattoo on a dare. You know, this is exactly the kind <laughs> of tattoo that. His yeah, which probably wouldn't be the case funny. with me. I got I got hammered and on a dare I sat in a chair for ten and a half hours. <laughs> this guy, this guy's hammered all day long. <laughs> Blackout drunk on the verge of death. He was getting his stomach pumped, and then they just put ink on it. I think we got ourselves a podcast. I believe so. Uh, and now you've got to go, go Robert De Niro on a Toyota dealership. Yeah, I just got, I got several texts from Heather during this whole thing, basically saying that, uh, <laughs> whatever I did, uh, you made it worse, did enough. So they're oh, getting real loner. Oh, good. <laughs> Fantastic. I was, uh, I was pretty, uh, I was pretty alpha this morning. Well, you had just seen Cape Fear and you were inspired by Max Cady. Yeah, I kept on. I kept on uh, calling the technician at the uh, collision center a counselor. <laughs> something. He, he says. He says, "Is this you, Mister Osborne?" I said, "Maybe it's the big bad wolf." Quoting seventeenth-century philosophers. Meow, <laughs> come out wherever you are. If someone ever recommended a book of the Bible for me to read I I guarantee you I'm not going to read it A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. 
This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away in timeline order from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park